ahead. Thank you, Shamrock. Well, hello. hello. I'm Pastor Anthony, and we are in the Outward Journey, as you can see. We spent the whole year talking about spiritual maturity this year, and we've kind of focused that, organized around three different journeys. The Inward Journey, which was all about us, our identity, who we are in God, and who we're not, what we can let go. Then we talked about the Upward Journey, and the Upward Journey was all about who God actually is. What does God say about himself? We can probably take that to the bank, and we learned that. And then we figured out, oh, God wants us to get to know him so he can rub off on us and we can become more like him. And beholding and becoming was what the upward journey was all about. Now we are in the outward journey. We're going out into this world and we have a catchphrase for this journey as well. And that, that is this, as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus now sends us. We got that out of the Bible in John chapter 20, 19 to 22. The disciples have seen Jesus crucified. It was horrible. They're horrified. They're scared. They're locked in a room. And this happens. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, I intend to read that entire passage every week, if you're wondering. If it's going to read it again, I am, because it's important. Jesus shows up, announces that he's conquered death, and then says, Guess what, guys? It's your turn. Go out there and get him. And we are spending the hour journey talking about exactly what that entails. We're in a mini, mini, mini series, though, called Practically Speaking where we take this idea of the outward journey, being Jesus to our world, and we say, what does that mean when I go to work? What does that mean in my leisure time? Spoiler alert, that's next week, right? Awesome. And then this week is, what does that mean in my family? That's right. So I have titled today, the subtitle is, Seven Tips to Live Christian with Crazies. <laughs> Why? Well, first of all, let me give a little bit of a of a disclaimer and an explanation of what exactly this sermon is about. This sermon is not seven easy tips from a super spiritual person that has it all figured out to make all of your family problems instantly disappear. I am making no, no, not pretending that that's what this is about. Also, I think these are seven tips that will really help, that are helping me. I am learning. I am on this journey myself. There are interesting situations in my own family, okay? But I want you to know that I'm not talking to the person in here that's dealt with very serious, abnormal abnormalities. How many of you guys know that no two families are the same? I think it's normal to have an abnormal family, because no two families are alike, all right? But some families have abnormal abnormalities. They have that thing that cannot be dealt flippantly with seven tips from the front of the room, amen? There's abuse, there are crimes, there are some serious things that go on. I am not trying to say, follow these steps, and Pastor Anthony promises, like a miracle, they'll all be gone. I take that very seriously. Please don't think I'm being flippant with your very serious issue, okay? I just want to cover that first. But, I think these seven tips will help with general grinding my teeth. Do I really have to see them family gatherings? That one person that's always negative, that one person that something happened two years ago... I think it was around Thanksgiving. You don't know what it was, but it's been really cold since. That one judgmental person, Uncle Ray, who's always loud and belligerent. And then there's the super spiritual, always changing her spiritual views, Aunt Nancy, and she's really loud and vocal, and I feel like she wants me to agree with her, and I just don't. And, uh, and then there's people that have 
offended you and caused real hurt just because they're jerks. You know, we have some jerks in our family. Those situations, this is meant to help with. You guys ready to dive in? Because we're probably all going to have family gatherings where these things will come up. All right, tip number one. Give them grace for what you don't know. We are going to follow some family encounters of Jesus Christ, who was God and man, and handled things pretty well, and we are going to discover some tips for our lives. This is number one. Jesus' parents, listen to this, Mary's pregnancy could have cost her her life in that culture. She could have been stoned. It almost ended her engagement. Mary gave birth in an animal stable, unmarried and in shame in that culture. And government assassins chased her and her husband out of the country. Try being Jesus and growing up in that household knowing that it's all your fault. <laughs> we, tell kids, we tell kids that it's not their fault. And you know what? If you're a kid and your family's messed up, it's actually not your fault. In this unique situation, totally Jesus' fault. Absolutely all of it. You know, you mean to tell me that he didn't have to give his parents grace from time to time? Well, his parents were human beings. All right? Jesus probably needed to give his parents grace for stuff that happened when he wasn't around. Likewise, I would encourage all of us when we go to that gathering and that person is being like they are and they're doing what they do, give them grace. If for no other reason than because stuff has happened in their life that you just don't know about. Oh, by the way, it's no wonder they hid out in Nazareth. I forgot to put that there. After all that happened, let's live in the smallest town possible and never leave. No doubt. Every weirdo in your family has a story that helped make them who they are. You probably are not privy to all the details of that story. This is an excellent reason to let a lot of what they do roll off your shoulder. You may be tempted not to let it roll off your shoulder, but let me encourage you. Trying to fix them is impossible, and it's also not your job. Since it's not your job, and you can't do it, you need a plan B. That plan B is grace. All right? This is where we have to start. We're having grace for them. If you really can't figure out a reason to have grace for them, and you just want to choke them, have grace for the stuff in their life that you don't know about. Amen? All right? Moving on to tip number two. What is the difference between this whiny brat tantrum and this whiny brat tantrum? 30 years. What's, what's that? 30 years. 30 years. About 30 years is correct. We got one. Like, what do you think he is? Is he four or five? What, what do you guys think? Yeah. About Three or four? All right, let's go with four. We got a four-year-old on the left throwing a tantrum. We got like a 34-year-old guy on the right throwing a tantrum. You know what I think the difference is? Is that one of these people could very well be sinning and one of them is just being four years old. The difference is maturity. So that's tip number two. Keep maturing. This tip is for us. This is before we even get to the gathering, okay? Keep maturing. And this means you'll need some grace too. So we're starting with grace for everybody. Grace for those people because we know how they are. And also grace for us, all right? Let's look at a story from Jesus' life. Jesus has just been taken to the temple for the first time. Oh, nope, sorry, skipped ahead. Jesus has just been taken to the temple for the first time. He's 12 years old. Everybody leaves the temple from his family. And Jesus decides, without telling anyone, not giving any memo, not even a text, I'm going to hang out back in the capital city with tons of people and just not tell my parents I'm not coming with them. Three days it took them to track down Jesus. And this is the scene that plays out. After three days, Jesus' parents found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
When his parents saw him, listen to this, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So they find this 12-year-old kid, and they're like, what are you doing? Why did you treat us so rudely? You didn't even tell us you were staying back. We've been looking for you like crazy for three days. Again, these are human beings finding their human son. He's God, too. We're not going to get into that, but fully God, fully man. This is a 12-year-old kid who didn't tell his parents he was staying in town, and he chooses to respond to a frantic mother this way. Why were you searching for me? He asked. <laughs> didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now we get a glimpse as to what probably happened next because it says they did not understand what he was saying to them. Somebody's doing dishes for three years. When he went down to Nazareth, this is next, I love this part. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I think he got punished so bad. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And then it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Is Luke trying to tell us what, right there that this wasn't the most mature, wise thing that Jesus has ever done? Probably. But you know what? Jesus was without sin. He was just 12. He was just 12 trying to work this thing out. You know, it's not a sin to be immature. Amen. It's not wrong Amen. to need to mature. But keep maturing and give yourself grace. And when you get to that family gathering and you're dealing with those people and you know how they are, they are going to remember how you are. And how you used to be. But it's not a sin to be immature. Your family has seen you grow up. Shrug off and laugh off the past. If possible, they were all 12 once too. Alright, now I'll give a brief story about this. I was talking to my Uncle Sam last year. We went on an extended road trip. And our family has not been as close as, as it could be. But we're working on it. So I've got like four or five uncles. And we're all trying to have a relationship. And we're driving down in the car. And he's telling me about myself 10 years ago. And he was like, I remember you, you, you were bald and scary and had a bad attitude. And you were half a communist back then. I was like, I was not. He was like, yes, you were. I was like, no. I was like, all right, well, maybe half, but not all the way. He's like, yeah, you were, you were kind of a jerk, man. And he said that to me, but check it out. My Uncle Sam's a believer. He loves the Lord. He knows what his life has been like, too. And he knows that people need to keep maturing and not stop. He said that to me with no hint of assigning that identity back to me. It was really sad, like, oh, I don't remember who you used to be. Man, it's amazing you're not that guy anymore. Can you give yourself that much grace, too? Can you look at yourself five, ten years ago and say, ooh, glad I'm not that person anymore, and then it rolls off, all right? Keep maturing. When you go to that family gathering, you are who you are now. You're not who you are ten years ago, all right? Your history should not follow you just because everyone else may want to put it on you. So that's tip number two. Keep maturing. Give yourself grace. Everybody's got grace. They've got grace. You've got grace. We're ready for tip three. Don't expect to be understood. You're going to show up. They're going to be them, and you're going to be you. And just like you've been driving in the car thinking, he's going to be there, she's going to be there, that couple's going to be there, that cousin's going to be there. They may have been thinking, Anthony's going to be there. Oh, I know how he is. Okay? This street goes both ways, does it not? It sure does. Look at this from Jesus. Guys, this is Jesus, okay? He went up to Nazareth where he's been brought up. He's going back to his little hometown, and he is going to announce his public ministry in his hometown. That's nice of him, isn't it? God's come to earth, and he chooses to honor Nazareth where he grew up by announcing his ministry. And this plays out. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. 
And then he gets the scroll to read in the synagogue, and he picks the spot in Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, so to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he closes the scroll, looks at the people in his hometown, no doubt the people that he's grown up with, friends and family, and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. They do not jump up and down applauding and say, Jesus, we knew it. There's always been something special about you. You're so great. Quite the opposite. This is the reaction I get. He gets. He explains a little more about what his ministry is going to look like, and then they freak out. Truly I tell you, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now, I've mashed up this story a little bit. But Jesus announces his ministry. It gives them the heads up. Like, you guys are going to think this is weird because I grew up here, but trust me. You know, no prophet is without honor in his hometown. And in fact, you're going to wish I did the miracles here that I did elsewhere, and guys, I just want you to know what's coming. They freak out and want to kill him. That's nice. Friends and family, guys, count on them to not understand you, even when you explain. Don't expect to be understood. Jesus wasn't understood. It's good to explain yourself. But just know that as a Christian, your goals, motivations, feelings, priorities, and lifestyle will likely be a total mystery to your family. Jesus was the Son of God sent to earth, and people didn't get him. You're just you, and I'm just me. It's very likely that people will not get us either, okay? So once again, we go back to grace. grace. Get ready to give him grace. But do explain yourself. That is witnessing. It is effective. Don't shrink back from that. Go ahead and tell people what you're all about. Just don't expect them to be on board and have thick skin. <laughs> because you may get more than one look like this. All right. Tip four, my personal favorite. When you go to this family gathering, how many of us have been born? Raise your hands. All right, excellent. So whether you know them or not is irrelevant. Everybody here has had a father and a mother. You have family. If you've been in a relationship with your father and mother your whole life, you may have noticed a strange dynamic that exists where they think they still have incredible sway over your life long after you pass 18. You have soared past 18. You've got 18 past 18 and counting. And it's still like, that's what, that's what you're choosing to do? No, I don't think that's very smart. I do this and this and this. Like, mom, dad, seriously, I'm like 65 years old. Like, I'm visiting you in the nursing home and you're trying to tell me where I should invest. Like, what, what's going on? What are you doing to me? <laughs> This is a difficult path that we'll probably all need to walk some more than others. Okay, my mom's been really good about releasing and letting go. Don't like to say that because she's not in here right now. But, uh, you know, it was a battle to get there. Talk to her about that. Don't talk to me. I don't. She handled everything perfectly. That's going to be on the tape. But you can't confuse respect and agreement. Here's another story from Jesus. Jesus is in a house. He's ministering. And in the Gospels that record this, he is in the middle. I don't want to put that up there because people will read it. In this situation, Jesus is really letting people have it, man. He is on fire. I mean, I imagine him like he's like leaning over the pulpit with his Bible in his hand if he was a preacher. And he's just, just really bringing it, man. 
I mean, he's ripping demons up and down and rebuking people and telling people how it is. And in the middle of that, he gets a memo. Jesus entered the house. Again, a crowd gathered, said he and his disciples were not even able to eat. He starts bringing it. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. Mark 3, 20 and 21. So they go to get him. Jesus is doing his thing. And then this. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. They sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Can you imagine this scene? And you've heard it said, and I'm going to tell you, and those demons, and someone greater than Moses is here. Jesus, your mom's outside? <laughs> she thinks you're crazy, and she wants you to go talk to her. Oh, really? Hey, Jesus had to deal with these situations, too. In the middle of a board meeting, about to make a serious decision, whatever, the phone rings, it's mom. Okay? She wants you to do something other than you're about to do as a grown man or woman. Jesus does not go outside. Jesus once again explains himself and says, this is what I'm doing. This is my course of action. But he did not acquiesce to the wishes of his family in this situation. He did not confuse respect and agreement. This is the same God who inspired the words, respect your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments, I think. Yeah. And yet when mom came calling, he didn't go outside. Why? Because she didn't get it. And it was okay for him to be his own person. Let's look at another situation. This is with Jesus' brothers. Jesus went around Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea. Why? Because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Somebody say, to kill him. Thank you. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea. What are they doing? They're trying to get him killed. At the very least, they're saying, you're a coward and a fake. Why don't you just admit you're a coward and a fake? But at worst, they're trying to have him murdered. These are his brothers. That's crazy. When the Jewish festival came near, his brothers said, leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus gives an explanation here once again. Jesus says to his brothers, Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world can't hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. And after he said this, he stayed in Galilee. When the time was right, he did go to Jerusalem. But he didn't do what his brothers told him to do. He didn't fall for it. He didn't say, you guys are right. He bit the bullet. He took it on the chin. He explained himself. When they were trying to pick a fight, he was level-headed. He said what he had to say. This is why I'm acting the way I'm acting. They still didn't get it. They probably still wanted him to die. But he still respected his brothers. This is the same God that inspired how sweet it is for brothers to live together in unity. This is the same God who inspired the scripture. If you don't love your brother who you have seen, how can you love the God that you haven't seen? He's not not loving them here. Does that make sense? Jesus never confused respect and agreement. And when you go to that family gathering, this will be in the air. That to disagree is to disrespect. To disagree is to dishonor. Unless your family is a lot different than mine. You've got to find a way not to fall for it. Is this good? Does this sound good? All right, is this anybody else's family or is it just mine? You know, I'm not getting any weird looks like I'm unusual, and I'm, I actually feel bad for all of you because that's the case. But here we go. 
Come on, slides. There we go. There we are. Here's some bullet points about this. Stop confusing respect and agreement. You are allowed to be confident. Just don't be a jerk. You can be confident as a Christian. You don't have to be mopey and walk around with your head down. No, be confident about who you are and what you stand for in your life. But don't be a jerk. Don't cross the line. You are allowed to have your own opinion. Just don't be belligerent. There's a difference. You are allowed and you can give a defense. But don't attack. It is not wrong to be your own adult. It's actually good. It's just difficult. So what does this look like? To be confident but not a jerk, to give a defense but not to attack, to, to be tough enough to go your own way and yet not be so aggressive that you injure people? I, I think that it looks like this. This is the best image I can find. A big old rhino. If a rhino wanted to, it could kill some lions. If a rhino wanted to, it could handle just about any elephant on the African savannah. It could. It's got a gigantic horn, thick skin, big, thick skull, but they prefer to just eat plants and be chill. <laughs> but you're not going to convince a rhino to do something that it thinks is wrong, are you? No. The rhino respectfully disagrees. <laughs> and, and good luck changing its mind. I think this is a great visual picture of the, the tenacity and yet the calmness that we need to have. You know, rhinos never move too fast either. I, I really like rhinos as I was getting this message ready. All right, stop confusing respect and agreement. Don't expect to be understood. Give yourself grace for who you used to be and give them grace for what you don't know about them. Tip number five, we're almost there. Master optimistic realism. Optimistic realism. What do I mean by this? What happened in the last story we just read about Jesus when he went to Nazareth? Announced his ministry, explained what was going to happen, and they say, how about we just kill you? Hmm, rough. Well, he goes back to Nazareth. He goes back? Yes, he does. He goes back, and he's doing all kinds of miracles, and he's just, he's kind of going around, he's ministering, and he tries to do what he's doing everywhere else in Nazareth. Did he call this earlier? Yes, he did. And then they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his home home at family gatherings. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Interesting. But he went back to Nazareth, didn't he? Did he know what was going to happen? Did he know what kind of reaction he was going to get? What kind of response he would receive? Yes, because in the last verse he said, you're going to quote this parable to me. You're going to say, why don't you do everywhere else, or do here what you do everywhere else. He knew what was coming. So why did he even show up? Why did he bother to do what he could do? Because Jesus was a realist, but he was an optimistic realist. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. Well, they're just going to do blah, blah, blah. You know Aunt Janine. You know, drunk Uncle Ray, he's going to blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe this time. When you go to the family gathering, be realistic about who you're going to be, but be an optimistic realist. Let your family be who they are. Be realistic about the reactions and receptions you will get in various situations, but don't stop trying. Well, that's hard. That stinks. That's why we have to go back to our buddy. You need to be rhino Christian, all right? 
able to destroy, chooses to eat plants and be chill. All right? Thick skin, thick head, but respectfully disagrees. All right? And he's an optimistic realist. Have the strength to give them the benefit of the doubt one more time. Amen? Amen. All right, tip number six. Remind yourself that they love you. This is the shortest slide of, of everything, okay? Because family is still family, is still family, is still family. Mom is still mom, is still mom. Dad is still dad. It does not matter if you haven't spoken to him since you came to blows in the parking lot and moved out. Let your life fall apart. Who's going to be there? Get that horrible disease. Have that horrible accident. Who's going to be there? Look, we just talked about some disagreements that Jesus' mother had with him. She was at the cross. And I think that's enough said. She thought he got there because he was a crazy man. And she was still one of the only people there. Don't forget, in all the emotion, and all the stuff that's going to be said and not be said, and the tension, and the poutiness, and the words exchanged, don't forget your family. And don't forget that they love you. And if you don't think they love you, read the tiny script underneath that, which says, and they darn well better. Or something to that effect. It's too small for me to read. And very well they should, darn it. Indeed. And even if they forget they love you, trust me, 99.9% sure they do. You have to go to your family gathering with this in mind. It has to be foundational. Or you may go crazy. I don't want that. Alright, last one. To number seven. Expect a better future. This boils down to hope. You're going to go to that family gathering. You're prayed up. You're ready to give them grace. You've given yourself grace for the person that everybody there remembers you used to be. Alright? You're going to shrug it off. We don't expect everybody to understand us, even though we're going to do our best to explain. We're going to be an optimistic realist. We're going to respectfully disagree if we have to. We've got our rhino skin on. We've got our thick rhino noggin. We can take them all out with the sheer force of our awesomeness, but we're going to eat plants and be chill. We're ready. Expect a better future for them. Look at what Jesus did. Actually, that's not... <laughs> that's hilarious. Look at <laughs> and then it slips out of the dark forest. No! Why? No, I want to do this first. What's going on in this scene? <laughs> who's, got a, who's over 30 years old can tell me? Mom? <laughs> yeah, no, kind of. All right. This is when Luke Skywalker is with Darth Vader and the Emperor, and he battles the Emperor, and Darth Vader decides, I'm a good guy after all. And Darth Vader picks up the Emperor, and he gets electrocuted. You guys remember the bad special effects? Am I alone here? Can I get a hand raise? Thank you very much. Throws him down the pit, everybody's happy, and then Darth Vader is dying. And then there's this scene that made me cry as a kid, and still makes me tear up to this day, where he says, Luke, take off my helmet so I can see you with my own eyes. And Luke knows that the helmet's the only thing keeping him alive. And he says, you'll die. And Darth Vader says, I don't care. Like, I need to see you. I've not seen you yet. <coughs> so he takes off the helmet. And he's like, wow, this is great. It was this intimate moment. And then he says, you need to leave me now. Because everything's going to blow up. And Luke says this. He says, you're coming with me. I won't leave you here. I've got to save you. And then Darth Vader says, you already have. You were right. You were right about me. For movie after movie after movie after movie... Darth Vader is the bad guy. You get all the backstory about how he got to be the bad guy, and then he's the ultimate bad guy. He is the force-choking, murdering, nasty dude that you never want to meet. 
And Luke gets his hand cut off by this guy. He gets abused. I mean, his home planet is blown up by Darth Vader's organization. I hate to talk about Star Wars in, in such depth, but this is the point. Everything about Darth Vader says, hate me, hate me, hate me, hate me. Luke is like a rhino and refuses. Keeps taking it on the chin. Keeps having hope. Keeps expecting a better future. And finally, he's right. At the very end, he saves his father by refusing to stop believing in his father. So when you are tempted to give up hope on anyone else in your family, when you are convinced that they would kill you if they could, you might be right, but you can still expect a better future. It's not impossible. Now for some Bible to back up Star Wars. How about that? Mark would be so proud. We already read these scriptures. Now let's look at them in this light, okay? This is to close. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James. Nobody, nobody, nobody. No hope, especially not for Jesus' family. But then, something weird happens in the Bible. You can read the Apostle Paul. And in Galatians, when Paul is explaining the beginning of his ministry, he talks about the people that were formative in his early life. And he says, I talked to these people and I didn't talk to these people. And in Galatians chapter 1, he says this. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other, what's that word? Apostles. Apostles. Only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you what I'm writing to you is no lie. James, the guy that wanted to have him killed by sending him to Jerusalem? James, one of the guys that thought he was out of his mind and tried to drag him out of the house? That James? James had probably still lived in Nazareth and was okay with him being thrown off a cliff and killed? That guy? Yeah. Why? Because Jesus saved him by refusing to give up on him, by never writing him off. Jesus was right about him. James Vader. Just point the term. Just add him. No? Jesus Skywalker. I can't say that. I can't even finish it. I hear the lightning bolt coming from heaven. And Mark Morris miraculously showing up, being summoned. No, guys, this is key. You cannot give up hope. You cannot, even when it looks hopeless, especially then. If you can't even hang on to the moment, hang on to the future. Okay? Because it might fall apart in the moment. This might be all you have to hang on to. Let's recap. Give them grace for what you don't know. Every weirdo has a story, and so do you. So, number two, give yourself grace and keep maturing. Three, don't expect to be understood. Do explain, though. Be a strong person. Be who you are. Just don't expect them to be on board. Four, don't confuse respect and agreement. Rhinoceros, respectful, could take them all out, eats plants, and is chill. Five, master optimistic realism. You know what you're going into, and you know what you're going to get, and it's not unbiblical for you to acknowledge that, but maybe this time. Maybe this time. Six, remember that they love you. You'll need this. The family's still family. And seven, hope. Maybe that person can't even be nice to you, but God is still God. Changing hearts is his business. And guess what? When it comes to God's family, nobody got there any other way. Thank you, guys. I'm going to give it to Shamrock to close.